Well, good morning, church. Uh, kia ora and talofa, malolele, whakalofalayatu, shalom, namaste, nihama, wohen hao, and welcome to church. It is a huge blessing to be here. Love being at this campus. Now, saying during our first service that uh, you guys honestly have made me feel so welcome and you've been so warm and accommodating and kind and you yeah, really feel at home. And uh, I was saying that you guys have made this guy, this uh, someone from South Auckland, feel like a guest speaker from Hillsong. So, really do appreciate it. Really do feel at home. And I send greetings from the Manureo campus, from the Don, and our Pastor Donald, as we affectionately call him, the Don at our campus, and the rest of our team. We really do love you guys and think a lot of this campus. And you know, during the week, the Don was asking me, he said, have you, have, you, have you got your sermon sorted for Pukakaui? I said, oh, it's getting there. And he goes, well, you better make sure it's sorted, okay? You make sure you bring it when you go there. I said, thank you, Don, for, for that word of encouragement. That gets really stirred me to make sure I get it done. So really, really love being here. And uh, I've been here for three, uh, three times this week. I was here for a, a panel discussion at Oxygen that... Um, that Bailey put together, and uh, I, I really have no idea how, how Bailey juggles all the plants that she does, but with such a high level of, of excellence as well. So, yeah, really, really so much respect for her. I have a part of the time juggling one, one plate, but she does all these different things. So, yeah, really admire her. And, um, but, church, it's a huge blessing to be here, and uh, without further ado, I'm going to commit on time to the Lord uh, in prayer. Father, we are so thankful that we can come together as your people without restrictions, without uh, prohibitions, Father, and come together as your people and hear you speak through the Word of God. Father, I pray that this would be an inspired word. This would be a word not as just information, but of revelation. Father, I pray, Lord, as we journey to the cross, the Holy Spirit would journey with us and highlight things He wants to teach us. Father, I pray the Spirit of God would signpost our journey to the cross. He'd, he'd tell us the direction to go, the place to go, Father, and stir our heart in a way that would respond to the cross in a way that is pleasing to you. Father, we love you so much, and we, uh, we honor you, we exalt you in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said. <clears throat> You know, about five years ago, church, a, a good friend of mine, he was trying to win the affections of a certain young lady. And to do that, he said the best way to do that would be, in his own words, to become the best version of himself, uh, not only spiritually but physically as well, which meant he decided to take part in a 16-week keto cardio challenge. So it was a really long program, and in order to keep himself accountable, he would upload photos of himself as before, during, and after photos on social media to, to monitor his progress. And he even asked me to be his, uh, to be his accountability partner. So church, he began the program, and you know, all was going well, and after about week four or five, he began posting photos, and man, you could see the change. He was starting to get definition, he was losing body fat, and man, he's looking really good. And, but as soon as it got to week 10, he stopped posting photos of himself. So I had to call him, I said, bro, is everything going okay? You all right? He goes, no, no, I've got it sorted, bro, everything's fine, I'm okay. But eventually we got to week 16, the conclusion of the program. And church, he posted his after photo, his week 16 photo, and guess what, church? His after photo looked worse than his before photo. Church, he actually put on weight during the weight loss program. I said to him, I said, how do you put on weight during a weight loss program? He goes, oh, man, I don't know, man. The enemy came for me. I was just really struggling. I was trying to push through, but I, I couldn't do it. And I said to him at his accountability partner, I said, bro, you know what? I'm not angry at you. Just disappointed. I was, That's probably the worst thing you can say to someone when they've done something wrong. But he never got that girl as well, church. So. But anyway, church, when you obviously take part in the weight loss program, the assumption is that your after photo will be better than your before photo. And church, as we reflect on our relationship with Jesus and our salvation and the person we were when we first came to Jesus, if the gospel truly is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, then the expectation is that your after photo will look better than your before photo. Your church, I'm sure many of you can look back and look back at the person you were when you first came to Jesus. You can look back and say, man, praise the Lord, I am not the person I used to be. I've grown, I've, I've, grow, I've grown, I've developed, I've matured. You know, I have freedom in so many different areas I didn't used to have, and praise God for that. 
But church, not only you can look back and say, man, I am not the person I used to be. You can look forward and say, I'm still becoming all that God has called me to be. There is a now but not yet reality to our journey with Jesus and our salvation. Amen. Another way to put it, church, will be this, is that when you first came to Jesus, when you gave your life to him, in a moment in time, God saved you from the penalty of sin, which is separation from God and, and spiritual death. In a moment in time, he saved you from the penalty of sin. But church, now that God has saved you from the penalty of sin, he is in the process of saving you from the power of sin. How many of you know, church, that sin has power over people? That sin even has dominion over people? Sin has this nagging, unrelenting sway over people that weighs people down and wears them out until they revert back to old patterns of behavior that hold them captive and keep them in bondage. You know, church, I've been sponsoring the gym for about three years now, and very kind to the gym, and when I finally decided to go back a year ago, I, I took part in what was known as aerobic circuit training, and I thought, man, I'm going to go hundies, I'm going to, what I did was I actually wore weighted clothing during these, during these aerobic circuits, and I've got to be honest, church, as much as I wanted to, as much as, as, as persistent as I was, as much as I pushed through and tried to really press in and finish the circuits, this weighted clothing, it just weighed me down, wore me out, and as much as I wanted to, I simply couldn't finish the circuit. Your friend, you might be sitting here and you're thinking, man, I, you have a heart to obey God. You want to do the right thing. You want to say yes to God. But this nagging, unrelenting sway of sin weighs you down, wears you out, until you revert back to old patterns of behavior that hold you captive and keep you in bondage. My friend, I'm here, to remind, I'm here to encourage you that Jesus came into your life, not just to free you from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. That Christ's death on the cross purchased not only your forgiveness, but also your freedom. That he came to free you from this uh, nagging, unrelenting sway of sin so you can walk in the freedom that he's purchased for you. And church, we've seen this in our series thus far. Your pastor Daryl last week preached on the trial of Jesus, where the sinless, spotless lamb of God bore our condemnation and was owed to us so we could be forgiven, so we could be forgiven of our sin and made right with him. But church, that's only half the story. That is your before photo. You are now in the process of developing your after photos because God is saving you from the power of sin, from this nagging, unrelenting sway of sin that prevents you from saying yes to God. Christ came, his death on the cross purchased not only your forgiveness, but also your freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, church, the, the Bible's definition of freedom is significantly different from our culture's definition of freedom. Now, church, we have a culture that defines freedom like this. It says, I as an individual, I can define everything about me. I can define my own identity. I can define my own values. I can define my own goodness. In fact, I can even define my own truth. I have my own truth. I remember sharing the gospel with, with a girl a few years back, and she said to me, she's Jake, I'm living my truth. I'm being my authentic self. You know, that's, not, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. But you do you, boo. That was her feedback to me as I was sharing the gospel. But let me remind you, church, there is no such thing as your truth. There is only the truth. Everything else is opinion, and the truth was embodied in a person, and that person is the name above every name. Our culture defines freedom as being free from any form of prohibitions, traditions, and even conscience. But church, our, de our culture's definition of freedom is in reality a form of slavery. Because a culture that celebrates freedom to sin is in reality a slave to sin. Jesus said, he who commits sin is a slave to sin. But rather, the freedom the gospel speaks of 
is not a freedom to live how you please. No, it's a freedom to live a life that is pleasing to God. It is the freedom to say no to sin because you're saying yes to Christ. It is the power of a resurrected Christ who grants resurrection life. It is the truth of God that sets captive people free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Church, I want to encourage you that the, that the true purpose, the true meaning of freedom is to say no to sin because you're saying yes to Christ. Christ purchased not only our forgiveness, but also our freedom. Let's go to our passage in Matthew chapter 27, verses 32, uh, sorry, 26 to 32. <clears throat> then he released Barabbas to them, and he, had, and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into, into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took a staff and struck it on his head again and again. After they mocked him, they took a robe <clears throat> off the robe and put on his own clothes, and they led him away to be crucified. Church, here you have, after the ultimate indignity of an unjust illegal trial, now our Lord has been sentenced to be crucified. Crucifixion was a method invented by the barbarians on the edge of the known world and eventually was adopted by the Romans and Greeks who adopted this practice as well. And church, it is perhaps the cruelest, most agonizing form of death because it, it deliberately delays death so maximum punishment can be inflicted. The victims could suffer for days without dying. When the Romans adopted it, they, they reserved it for, criminal, for criminals of the worst convictions. But provided, of course, they were still slaves and foreigners and other non-people. When a Roman citizen was crucified, it was only for extreme cases of treason. But even Romans thought that crucifixion should not even be a thought in the Roman mind because it was so horrendous and cruel. Church, here you have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, dying the death of a slave so we could be set free. He dies the death of a slave to rescue us from our slavery to sin. In fact, the apostle Paul put it this way. He said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Church, the old you, if you know Jesus, the old you, your old self, the person you used to be was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He was crucified with our Lord. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, the old me is dead. Thank you. He was crucified with Christ. After being pronounced that he was crucified, church, Jesus was, was stripped and flogged. You know, stripping, the, stripping naked the accused was meant to be a form of humiliation. You're closely followed by mockery and scorn. Whereas the Jewish law allowed for a maximum of 39 uh, lashes, Roman soldiers would just simply flog and flog until they got tired. A Roman soldier's flagellum was a leather whip embedded with bone, iron, and middle, stri uh, middle stripes. This instrument of torture would, would literally open the flesh, sometimes exposing bone, and occasionally killing victims before they were crucified. Church, this is the combination of the humiliation of our Lord. His entire life, from his birth to his death, has been a state of humbling himself in his ultimate humiliation. The second person of the Trinity, the Son, humbled himself and took on the frailties of humanity descending from a heavenly throne to traverse the dusty road to sinners, taking off his kingly robe to bear common cloth, descending from his kingly throne room to, to be born in the poverty of a stable, 
Though he is the sovereign, he became the slave. Though he was rich, for our sake he became poor. His ultimate act of humiliation and service culminating at the cross, where our Lord endured the most cruelest, most agonizing form of death in crucifixion, a method reserved for slaves in order that we would be set free. It says later on in our passage, church, that the, the, crowd, the crowds were there, and they were, the crowds were merciless to Jesus. You know, they, were, they, were, they were mocking and scorning Christ with such vindictiveness and vitriol. They were even spitting at Jesus. The crowds were compassionless and merciless. But church, not only were they compassionless and merciless, they were also incredibly fickle. Because church, these are the same crowds who only days ago were, were in awe and amazement of the ministry of Jesus. His preaching, his compassion, his miracle-working power. They were celebrating Jesus. They were exclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. They were praising the Lord and singing, hopefully on, on key like that wasn't, but they were singing and praising Jesus. But just here we have at the crucifixion of our Lord, they are not singing Hosanna. They are screaming at Jesus with such vindictiveness and vitriol, crucify him. The crowds are incredibly fickle. Their faith is fickle. Now, friend, you might be sitting here and you might define your own faith as fickle. You may feel like your faith has been tossed to and fro and it's been shaped by changing circumstances, shifting emotions, and you feel like you've always had one foot in and one foot out. You feel like your faith is fickle. But friend, I want to encourage you that your faith may have been fickle, but he is always faithful. His promises for your life are still yes and amen. When we were unlovable, he still loved us. When we were unfaithful, his, he was relentlessly faithful to us. Later on in the passage, church, it talks about how the other people, the, the crowds and, and, the, and the parties and the people who conspired to kill Christ are present as well, the Jewish leaders. And church, when I was reading about these different parties of people, I, I was... Initially, I was very judgmental and saying, yeah, these are, these, are, these are bad people. And, of course, what they did was incredibly bad, incredibly evil. But I sat back and I said, man, if I'm being completely honest with myself, you know, I could relate to one of these parties and peoples in my own way. You know, perhaps, friends, you identify with the, with the Pharisees, you know, the keepers of the law, who, had a, who not only were, were legalistic and power-hungry, but they had a disdain for Jesus because he did not meet their preconceived ideas of what Messiah would be. He didn't fulfill their personal expectations. Perhaps when you're sitting here and uh, you've grown disillusioned, even angry at God, because he didn't fulfill your preconceived ideas of who he what he should be. He didn't fulfill your personal expectations. He didn't answer a prayer in the way you wanted. He didn't make a way in a direction you appreciated. Maybe a friend you identified the Sanhedrin, who were the Jewish ruling council who wanted to have Christ killed and, and tried. The Sanhedrin, they view Jesus as a threat to their political and religious power. And perhaps, friend, you view Jesus as a threat to your own personal power and authority. That because you still want to live your life your way, you view Jesus as a threat to be suppressed. Maybe, friend, you identify with Pilate, you know, who saw nothing wrong with Jesus, who saw no fault in Jesus. In fact, you're curious to learn more about him, but because of the peer pressure of other groups, be it family or friends, you dismiss him. Maybe, friend, you're sitting here and you can even identify with Peter, the disciple who denied, who denied knowing him. 
where you started your Christian walk with a hiss and a roar. You were passionate about the things of God. You were on fire for Jesus, had a passion for the house. But as soon as the cost became too high to follow him, you denied knowing him. Church, all of these expressions of fickleness, betrayal, denial, and pride are all forms of slavery that hold us captive. But it is exactly that form of slavery that Christ bore himself so we could be forgiven, so we could be set free. Now, church, you might be sitting here and thinking, well, Jake, that's great. You know, I, I believe that. I know whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I know that Christ has purchased for me this, this forgiveness from sin, but also this freedom that I'm to walk into as well. Look, I know the old is gone, the new has come. I know all that. But still, this nagging, unrelenting sway of sin weighs me down, wears me out, and prevents me from saying yes to God and, and living the life that I know pleases Him. So how can I walk in this freedom that Christ has purchased for me? Let me give you four quick points, church, as we, if we're taking notes, write these down. <clears throat> Number one, know whose you are. Your church, the foundation of walking in freedom, the foundation of walking in this freedom that Christ has purchased for us is understanding who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. But church, listen, you will never know who you are unless you first know whose you are that you've been adopted into sonship, that no longer do you have a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of sonship, that you now call God, you can cry and call him Abba Father. Your church, if we're going to operate not from a place of slavery that's under bondage, but out of a spirit of sonship that obeys God out of a love for the Father, that it begins with a heart recognition, a heart knowledge, a heart revelation, that we've been embraced by the Father and set free by the Son, that we are actually a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come. Church, a lot of us are, are embedded in these cycles of behavior that hold us captive because it's often the fruit of false and toxic beliefs we believe about ourselves and what we believe God thinks of us in the midst of our failures. But friend, I want to encourage you to dismantle those false beliefs and replacing them with a heart knowledge that you've been embraced by the Father and set free by the Son. Number two, <clears throat> abide in the vine. Your church in Matthew and John chapter 15, Jesus tells this illustration. And he says that of, uh, they illustrate spiritual growth for the Christian walk. And Jesus says, I am, I am the vine and we are the branches. And Jesus says, if we remain in him, if we abide in him, if we stay connected to the vine, what happens is we will naturally, automatically, organically bear fruit. You see, church, the focus is not on us on the vine to try and generate and produce the fruit on our own. No, we are to remain in him. As we, and as we remain in him, we will naturally bear fruit. Church, walking in freedom is not about the application of programs or principles. It is a relationship with the person. And church, as you prioritize your relationship with Jesus above all else, as you relentlessly protect the secret place, as you pursue the presence of God above all else, as you continue to drink from his fountain because he is living water, as you remain in him, you will naturally automatically bear fruit. And that fruit will be freedom. This is not about the application of programs or principles. It is relationship with a person. And when, you, and when you focus that relationship, you will walk in freedom. Number three, give the Spirit of God the freedom to give you freedom. Your church, I'm, I want to encourage you, if, I, really, I really do, to make this a, a defining moment in your Christian walk if, you're, if there's something you're struggling with. To make this a definitive moment to say, Lord, I'm going to give you the freedom, Holy Spirit, the freedom to give me freedom. 
you know, to give him access to those patterns of behavior that hold you bondage that only you and him know about. It might be ugly. It might be uncomfortable. It may be unsettling. But say, Spirit of God, I'm going to give you the freedom to give me freedom. You know, church, I have the privilege of working at uh, the Elam Manurewa branch and also ELC, which is our uh, Elam Leadership Training College. And I'm very blessed because it doesn't feel like actually work because I get to do this. This is stuff I love doing, so I'm very blessed. But church, it was a journey to get this far for me. You know, I've been part of the Elam movement for three years now. And my first year of attending Elam Manurewa, I was asked to, uh, to study at the Elam Training College. And I, I, outwardly, I was like, oh, yeah, of course I'll do that. I'd love to do that because I was told I have to do this if I, want to, if I have a future here. And, um, but inwardly, I was thinking, man, I don't want to do that. I'm thinking, man, I've just, I just did a degree in theology. Now I'm going backwards doing a diploma. I was thinking, man, I am, I am the only non-staff member who gets to share the platform with the likes of Pastor Haley and Pastor, uh, Pastor Boyd. And I'm, running, I'm leading all these ministries already. So church, even before I begun my first year at ELC, I had this mentality, man, that I was like, man, I've already arrived. I am the man. I, I, am, I am here to show you how it's done sort of thing. And, church, and let me tell you something, church. If you ever feel like you've arrived in your Christian walk, you never really left the house. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's a lesson for all of us. So, church, I was engaged in my first year ELC, and I could tell, look, you can tell when the Holy Spirit is prompting something on your heart to change, that there were attitudes he wanted to shift. There were character flaws he wanted to, he wanted to set me free from. There were issues of the heart he wanted to deal with. But because of my own pride and, and because of I thought I was already arrived, I stifled the Holy Spirit. I didn't give him access to those areas he wanted to change. And because of that church, after a, a good year after I studied, I just went around in circles in the same patterns of behavior that held me captive until I chose to give the Spirit of God the freedom to give me freedom. Now, eventually I did church, but guess what happened? After a year, I delayed the promises of God for me, delayed the will of God for me as well. Church, you don't have to make the same mistake that I did. You don't have to delay the promises and purposes of God for you. I would encourage you to make this a defining moment to give the Spirit of God the freedom to give you freedom, and you will be amazed at what He does. Fourthly and finally, commit and confess to community. Now, church, you've probably heard this a million times. We, we, we always say this at Elam, that you've been made for community, that you're not made to do life alone, but in community. And church, but church, it is very true. I cannot emphasize enough that you cannot live this Christian life on your own. We are made for community. We are made to be within the context of a people of God who have the same mindset as us, who are journeying towards the same purpose as us, a, a tightly knit group of people that we can journey with. And church, this is because God uses people to help people. You know, church, I, I love Sunday morning. Sunday morning is my favorite time of the week. I love coming to church and connecting and, and, and having fellowship with, with friends in the body of Christ. And it's an incredible time, the morning. I love Sunday mornings. But church, the place where you really do business with God, I would argue, is not on Sunday, but it's, in the, it's, it's within the context of those small groups during the week. It's within the, within the context of those, of those day-by-day discipleship relationships where you're journeying with a closely-knit group of people, where you're loving each other, encouraging one another, edifying one another, keeping each other accountable, speaking life into one another. Just listen, freedom flourishes in community. When you're, when you're connected to a tightly-knit group of people, you allow freedom to flourish because God uses people to help people. Amen? If I could invite the band to join me on stage, please. You know, church, in John chapter 21, obviously Christ has conquered the grave. He was crucified. Now he appears risen from the dead. And one of the first things Jesus does is he appears to 
the apostle Peter, the, the disciple who denied knowing him. But church, Jesus appears to Peter, not to condemn him, but to restore him. He comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Paralleling his betrayal because Peter was denied knowing him three times. And Peter says, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Then Jesus says in summary, he says this, he says, then feed my sheep, he says, then feed my sheep and follow me. In essence, Jesus is saying, my friends, to Peter, that now that you've been restored, now that you've been forgiven, you are to walk in this forgiveness by walking in the freedom that I purchased for you and being the person I've called you to be. Friends, as we reflect on what Christ has done for us, on this freedom that he's purchased for us, we are to walk in this freedom by doing all the things we talked about, by, rem by remembering who you belong to, remembering whose you are, by abiding in the vine, by committing to community, and giving the Spirit of God the freedom to give you freedom. And when you do that, church, you will know the words of Jesus ring very true, that whom the Son does set free is indeed free, indeed. I want to encourage you as well, church, that when we talk about growth or, or, or maturing, listen, God is not after perfection. He's just after progression, that we're growing, that we're maturing. When we do stuff, listen, we're quick to repent. He's faithful and just. God is after not perfection, but progression. Let's abide in the vine. And we'll be amazed at what God will do. Amen. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that we do know that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Father, we are so grateful that you are a God who purchased not only our forgiveness, but also our freedom. So, Father, as we, I, I pray that this will be a defining, a definitive moment for us, church, that we make a commitment today in those areas of our life that are uncomfortable, that are unsettling, that we're embarrassed about, that would give the Spirit of God the access to give us freedom that would make a commitment, Father, to prioritize our relationship with you above all else and to commit to a community and be amazed at what you do in our lives, Father. We love you so much, Father. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you, Jesus.